Welcome to Psychologically Speaking with me, Leela Ainge. This is a podcast all about human behaviour, weaving together fascinating research opinions and real-life experiences. I'll give you a psychologist's insight into how we behave in spaces we live and work in, and how they in turn shape us. This season, we're exploring my favourite topic: imposter phenomenon. So get comfy and let's dive into today's episode. Online communities and social platforms have become an extension of the traditional office. My research specifically looked at online communities and asked the question, what are women entrepreneurs' experiences of imposter phenomenon? My research identified three themes, visibility and the pressure to show up online, comparison with other women, and the idea that online spaces can create level playing fields. But that final theme with its sporting reference really speaks to the competitive nature of business and entrepreneurship, it also reflects what happens when psychological safety is and is not present. To help us understand how imposter and psychological safety go hand in hand, I'm delighted to be joined today by two friends with expertise in psychological safety and diversity, equity and inclusion from Work Culturati. Christina Clark is a psychosynthesis leadership coach London School of Mediation Certified Mediator and Accredited Psychological Safety Practitioner. After nearly a decade and a half working in brand advertising and communications with a range of FTSE 100 governments and agencies, through Work Culturati, Christina has cultivated a community of hand-picked experts to support leaders and organisations. Having worked in the UK, Spain, Colombia, Australia and most recently Luxembourg, she has a truly global purview and champions intercultural awareness through all of her work. Laura Stern is a consultant at Work Culturati and has a diverse professional background. She started her career in the TV industry, working as a production coordinator on various TV documentaries and selling documentaries and drama programmes to international broadcasters. Laura ventured into entrepreneurship by opening her own online stationery company called Fold and Seal. However, after running the business for two years, she recognised that her true passion lay in supporting and promoting female-owned businesses. This realisation led her to shift a focus and join an online business membership for women as a community manager. Laura was responsible for fostering engagement and creating a supportive environment within the online business community. Additionally, she was part of the diversity and inclusion team where she actively contributed to initiatives aimed at promoting diversity, equality and inclusion amongst the community's members. Currently, Laura is completing her Master of Business in Equity, Diversity and Inclusion. This pursuit will further equip her with advanced knowledge and skills to drive meaningful change and create more inclusive environments within the business community and beyond. Christina and Laura, a very warm welcome to the Psychologically Speaking podcast. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here and thank you for inviting me, Leela. <laughs> Thanks, Laura. Super excited. Thanks, folks. Lovely to see you. And you, Christina. I think first up, Christina, I just wanted to come to you and to, to say, can you tell us a little bit about what psychological safety actually is? Absolutely, Leela. The Conventional definition that's used comes from Amy Edmondson, who of course wrote The Fearless Organization, and it 
suggests that psychological safety is the belief that one will not be punished or humiliated uh, for speaking up with ideas, questions, or concerns. But there's been quite a lot of misrepresentation about what that actually means in practice. Um, there's a, a, a nuance. I think people that it means creating a cozy environment. And to a certain extent, it's not really about that. It's not about being overly nice, um, you know, avoiding saying things like they are. Um, it really is about how do you create an environment where you can have high performance. And to do that, I think you have to sort of do a bit of contracting around what that learning environment looks like. So I think if everyone is aware that they're there because they're there to learn, to grow, to develop, you know, they have a growth mindset about psychological safety and it's possible to maintain it. I really like the the fact that you you talk about it not being too cozy. And that that's one of the things that I'd really thought about when I was speaking to women as part of the research, because there were definitely women who were like, this feels like a, a really safe place for me. I can say whatever I like, warts and all. And yet I'd got other women who were saying that, when I see women do that, sharing absolutely everything, I don't think that's healthy either. And I do wonder, is there a balance to, to be struck? And, and how do we know what that is? And I suppose, what does the psychological safety research tell us about knowing what what is the right level of comfort versus challenge? Absolutely. So I think this is really interesting, this notion about how do you construct a level playing field? And I think it's to do it, of course, in person, let alone when you're kind of thinking about an online community that might be in flux all the time. And obviously, the nature of the online is that you can't really physically see it. You, yeah. know, you don't know what's going on behind um, you know, people's um, computers, um, where they're at, you know, how to understand what's really intended by what's written. You know, there's lots of tonal things that could be inferred. Um, I think if we come back to the sort of the kind of key areas of what it means to have psychological safety. You know, you've got four key pillars that Amy refers to. You know, one is she talks about inclusion and diversity. So she's very clear on that that nuance as well, that to be included is the first part because then you can bring diversity to it. Um, and then you've got willingness to help. You know, how how do people feel about stepping up and sort of saying, you know, hey, can I support this other person in the community, et cetera? You know, how willing are they? Then there's the question about attitudes to risk and failure. You know, am I willing to, to fail publicly? You know, obviously when you're talking about entrepreneurs, perhaps in a community together, it could be uh, a bit competitive for all, though there might be a collaborative narrative. There's probably a sense of like, oh gosh, if I put my hand up with this feeling, you know, am I better or worse than the next person? And we already have a self-judgment around what asking for help requires. And of course, we all know that leaders sometimes struggle with asking for help anyway. <laughs> and then, um, so apart from attitudes to risk and failure, which, um, you know, if we have this learning environment, then, you know, we don't mind putting stuff out there. You know, we're happy to sort of uh, to learn from, you know, the kind of conventional uh, wisdom to be humble about, you know, what we don't know, but also, you know, what we do know. Um, and then there's this fourth pillar, which is about open conversation, you know, so how able do I feel to to contribute, to be vulnerable, to be candid, um, you know, to be confident, to to be a part of these inclusive dynamics. So I would say those are the sorts of kind of key areas that we like to think about in psychological safety. And I know that, um, you know, Timothy Clark talks about, you know, his four stages as well, 
he's very keen on that kind of, you know, inclusion safety, the learner safety, contributor safety and challenger safety. And I think that challenger piece is probably the one where we maybe fall apart a bit more when it comes to imposter phenomenon. Absolutely. Yeah, I I really liked uh, the Timothy Clark stuff. And I, I think it was him who said that, you know, one of the symptoms of, of uh, a lack of psychological safety is silent workspace or workplace. And this was really interesting in the research because the one thing that really surprised me was just how much value women got from being silent observers in online spaces. So in one respect, we're saying inclusion is really important. Participation and being able to be vulnerable and be part of the conversation. But if you're a community host, and I'll come to Laura in a bit, uh, and talk more about this because she's had direct experience and will probably have wonderful insights to share with us. But if you're a community host, the narrative and that tonal piece you talked about, Christina, is what we see and hear. The silence is deafening, isn't it? From there's sometimes, you know, up to 50, 60% of members of online spaces may not be actively or what we call um, they're more passive contributors. So the psychology behind lurking in online spaces is really well advanced. You know, we know a lot about it and it's gone from being something that has been seen as a shady activity to something that we now um, really recognize as giving social capital and value. And certainly that was the conclusion of, of my research. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that to have psychological safety means that we should be able to contribute but our online spaces are probably not quite designed. They're not mature enough yet, are they, to really help us accommodate people who have that passive need or want that passive engagement. Um, so I think I think that for me is, is where psychological safety gets really interesting. And I think it helps us to challenge how we're running our online workspaces. Yeah, and if I could maybe jump in there as well, the you know, this um, there was an HBR piece. I know you and I, Leela, yeah. discussed a bit about this sort of concept of you know how do you do a courageous audit of your workplace. I suppose this could also be apl applied to the online space. You know, when we don't speak up, you know, what's the cost yeah. of not speaking up? So even maybe if you're a lurker, you know, perhaps there's there is a, a benefit there. But if you are witnessing something or perhaps some behavior that's making you uncomfortable and you're not able to speak up, you know, then you are, I suppose, also kind of complicit in creating an environment that is not conducive to learning or, you know, developing yourself as an entrepreneur or your business. So I suppose we need to think about, you know, what the actions that we're not taking yeah. and what's the impact on that, on our overall well-being and therefore the well-being of the community. So I think what we're saying here is that the relationship between imposter and psychological safety is really important. It's important because we know some of those pillars that Amy talks about are going to create spaces that are going to enable people to be vulnerable when they need to be vulnerable, to be supported and included. But I suppose the research also demonstrates that we know that there are challenges in the ways in which people like to participate. I'm really interested in hearing from Laura about her experiences of being a community manager. But first of all, we're talking about diversity, equity and inclusion. And those are three terms that are used quite widely. But Laura, I wonder, could you just break that down for me? What is diversity, equity and inclusion? And what is the difference as well? Absolutely. Um, I suppose that there's definitely, a, I think, a big difference um, between the three terms. Um, but if you want... 
them all to succeed, you kind of have to make sure that they all exist together. I think when we're talking about diversity, you know, it refers to a wide range of identities, you know, that include but aren't limited to race, ethnicity, gender, religion, disability, sexual orientation, and also socioeconomic status, which I think a lot of the times is actually lost maybe in it, you know, under the diversity heading. Um, and then equity is all about access, you know, and making sure that everybody has an opportunity for support, benefit, you know, and everybody has equal opportunities. And then inclusion, as Christina said at the beginning, which I believe should, you know, when we're talking about um, EDI or DEI, you know, maybe it should be I, IED, you know, inclusion is so important and you can't have the others um, unless inclusion exists um, first. I know a person who I really admire, uh, Furkan Karyal, you know, she will refer sometimes people can imagine, you know, these things and, you know, if you have a description of it or a picture, you know, she will describe, you know, that diversity is being invited to the table and inclusion is sharing the cake fairly. Yeah. And then I suppose we'll bring in the equity where, well, yes, if everybody has a piece of the cake, but is that cake accessible to them is it suitable for them you know can they actually have that cake or will it you know would they have an allergic reaction to that cake so that's how you know you can have all of these things exist but without inclusion um primarily first you know um we can't we can't have the rest and that makes a lot of sense and we saw this through the research so women were saying that equity piece was really important yeah they were saying I want to participate in ways that work for me. So that's that bit of saying, I've got my cake, I'm at the table, but is it the right cake? Can I contribute in silent ways? Can I be passive when I need to be? How can can I be included in in a way that works for me? Absolutely. And do you have access, you know, to the resources that are available? And I think when we speak about equity and social capital, it is all about sharing resources and I think you know being part of an online community I think it's very important that when you join that you feel that you have this equity that they feel that from the get-go you know that they have access to to resources and information you know and that they feel comfortable also as well and this where obviously the psychological safety comes into it that they feel comfortable then in sharing their own information and therefore then their social capital is increased then. And I also think it's important to mention that, you know, when we think about online communities and if you're a host or if you're a leader, you know, and and are those, you know, policies and practices put into place, which we can talk a little bit about later on as well, to make sure that equity exists for all members. It's it's really interesting. I mean, I work in a number of different spaces. So um, at the moment, I've been spending a lot of time in organizations and working back in offices. And when we have meetings, we tend to be very, very aware of who speaks and who doesn't. And certainly as a change leader, I will catch up with people after meetings and say, I'm really interested in, in your view there. Well, thank you for contributing. Uh, is there anything else you want to add? And there's a sense, certainly from the research, that women were reflecting on the fact that sometimes the pace of conversation and threads in online spaces just really negates that ability to reflect so sometimes it helps as in they can jump in on a thread a week two weeks later and go oh that I found that really useful thank you or they can add in a comment or they can go away and think about something without being put on the spot 
But other times, threads or spaces can operate in a very fast-paced way. So threads can get lost and people feel that they're not able to have that reflection. They have to be, there's this pressure to perform, isn't there, on, in the moment. And sometimes with the way in which online spaces work with live events and live learning, that, that can be a real challenge. So I think what we're starting to see is that some of the nuances that we're very able to cope with in our traditional workspaces are no different actually in our online workspaces, but we're not thinking about it in that way. We tend to think online is completely different. And as a cyber psychologist, my, my purview on this is very much online is an extension of the real, real world and, and real life. So clearly those DEI factors really have to have to come in yeah. in the same way for, for online spaces. Absolutely. And it, and it's it's really interesting you should say that because when I was doing like the reading, you know, and thinking a lot about this podcast, th- there's a lot of crossovers actually between the traditional workplace and online spaces, you know, to make them equitable. So you have the likes of, you know, to use inclusive language in your guidelines, you would do that in the workplace, you know, have an accessibility measures. So they're different from your bricks and mortar, you know, making sure that's accessible to actually having your online space accessible as well. Are videos captioned? Your website design, is it accessible for all? And like dealing with conflicts and harassment, you know, is there somebody there to make sure that they're picking up on any offensive language? And there is definitely a lot of crossover and you're absolutely, you know, I totally agree that they are becoming very similar spaces. And I think since the pandemic that we all went through that has heightened it even more because we have really shifted like a huge amount of percent I'd imagine I don't know the exact number but onto online online spaces and from remote working and everything else that that final theme um online level playing fields this was the sense I mean the research happened just after um lockdown had eased and women were saying do you know what these online spaces for the first time have given me platform, they've given me voice, they've given me a space. And yes, they're competitive, but I'm happy and I will I will work within that competitive space because it is more geared up to me as an individual. And this is direct contrast, isn't it, to the, uh, the, the networking events that we've experienced. I'm, I'm sure we've all experienced these where you, you go to um, a coffee morning and there's a bunch of people you don't know and you've got to put out your business card and you have to think about saying who you are. Something that I personally struggle with because I've got maybe two or three different hats on depending what kind of consultancy work I'm doing at any one time. Um, so these online spaces allowed people to really curate their identity and to be able to work on, you know, doing things in their own pace. So it's no surprise to me that we're still using both and, and that we're integrating them as well. And it's been really interesting to see the communities that have started to thrive by complementing face-to-face gatherings with those online spaces. And again, that for me feels like another prong of the inclusion, doesn't it? Because different things work for different people. I think what I was really interested in is how does I suppose how does a lack of DEI um, shape online spaces what kind of things might we see in online spaces and communities if we've not got that DEI right and these could be things that listeners could be thinking oh I've experienced that or 
oh, actually, I see that in my own space. What, yeah. what kind of pointers have we, have we got in terms of what would be a, a red flag for us? I, th- I think silence can be a red mm. flag, you know, and I know we spoke briefly just about the lurking, but also a drop off in members. And I think that's that's a sure, you know, definite sign that it's not working for people. And I also think a lack of diversity. When you look at your online community, you have to look at it as a whole and say, well, who's here and who's not here? And how how do we reach the people that aren't here, you know, as well? And if somebody turns up to sign up to your community and they don't see themselves there, they immediately go back on themselves. And that psychological safety then is not there when they don't see representation, you know. So I think representation is really important. And, um, you know, DEI then fails in that regard when you join and you don't see anybody that's similar to you. Yes, you can learn and you can share from other people, but to form real connection, you need to be able to see yourself and have representation there as well. I think to, you know, to be true and to feel a true sense of belonging as well. It feels to me that onboarding, I mean, we get onboarding yeah. right in some organisations and we, we we get it horrifically wrong in others, you know. I've seen both sides and I'm interested in, in Christina, from a culture perspective, we know onboarding is brilliant and it helps us retain staff and it bridges the gap. So we're talking here about we have to have an environment where people feel represented and sometimes they might not be. So that onboarding process becomes even more important, doesn't it, to support somebody. But even if you are represented, even if you do see people like you, what we're saying is that imposter experience can actually really take away from the richness of a room full of people like you because that comparison creeps in. And I wonder from a culture perspective, the things, the good practice you've seen in organisations that can, we could probably transfer to online spaces. What, what could we do? Absolutely. And I think some of this ties into as well what Laura was saying before about, you know, the importance of policies and practices. And I'm going to cite something that uh, Priya Parker says in her book, The Act of Gathering, which I think is, or The Art of Gathering, sorry, she uh, talks about you know gathering in physical spaces and there was a quote a brilliant quote that she used um, from a conflict resolution expert that talked about how 90 percent of what makes a gathering successful is what happens and what's put in place beforehand yes you know while having policies and and and, and all that sort of stuff is important i think the most important thing is the co-creation because, of course, you know, our experience might not be fully attuned to the lens of the other person that you're talking to. And therefore, you want to make sure that they can represent themselves in the kind of, you know, refining of what that policy would look like in practice for them. So I think for us, to a certain extent, you know, you, you, you've got to kind of really work hard to co-create this stuff with all the people who are involved in, in the community so that they also have, uh, you know, skin in the game. Because I mean, there are some there are overarching things that make us all feel like we're a part of a community, trust and respect. You know, these things are universal, but the way that we get there is, you know, is individual. So I think we need to, you know, try and and create that supportive feel by making everyone feel like they have a voice uh, within within what's possible. And of course, you know, you might not be able to cater to every single, you know, every single nuance and a thing. But if you're trying to do the work, and that's your intention intentionality the reflective aspect of this um and then of course um 
change is is leader led but i really believe that you need to have you know different leaders within that piece to make sure that it can that it's successful i think we've seen articles recently talking about you know how companies spent spent a lot of time hiring you know heads of inclusion and diversity diversity <laughs> um and uh, and then you know they are being set up to fail because the company are then saying okay now you're in charge off you go you can resolve this problem and it's almost like everyone else is absolved of participating in you know what it takes to to do that work so i think we need to make sure that there are lots of people who are ambassadors for this work to make sure that we have that kind of supervision element. You know, when we're doing coaching and mentoring, you know, we have supervisors. I don't see why that should be different actually in the online space. We call them moderators, but I think mods feels a bit more passive. There are builders and growers who are going to make this work, um, you know, sing and, and continue over time. It definitely feels to me that in online spaces, those community leaders and hosts who can come together and talk to other hosts and leaders are definitely going to end up creating spaces that are richer and more inclusive as, as we move forward. But I'm really interested in that ambassador idea. When I talk about ambassadors, what I'm thinking about is the power that we've all got to shape the spaces that we're in. And this was really me thinking around, okay, so we've done the research and we're saying here that imposter experiences can thrive in spaces where psychological safety is low. But rather than waiting for a host or a leader to create um, a policy and to put those good practices in place, there's a couple of things that we can be doing. I read recently that we hold back 40% of all the wonderful thoughts we have and praise we have for people. So compassionate spaces, spaces where we're willing to give praise more often than not, are going to encourage people to be vulnerable and also to be validated and to contribute. Likewise, if we're brave enough to give feedback, even the tricky stuff, that gets to the heart of that thing you were talking about right at the beginning, Christina, which is psychological safety is not comfortable. You know, this isn't about being sitting in a cozy little armchair in the corner of your community and, and feeling like you're part of a gang that um, all gets on and are very clicky. Actually, that, that has happened in some spaces I've been in and it's not so helpful. What we're talking about is that ability to constantly challenge in a productive way, in a constructive way. So I think what I want to be able to say to people listening is if you're in a space and these things aren't happening for you, then you do have agency just by either giving feedback and saying the positive things or, or constructively challenging. They're two very simple things that we all have that, that we can do. Absolutely. I think this is where we can uh, reference the work of the wonderful Nancy Klein, you know, yes, loved about you know, <laughs> time to think, you know, what a masterpiece and also, you know, talking about appreciative inquiry, you know, how we can obviously focus on strengths, um, you know, culturing this, cultivating this culture of appreciation and recognition to, you know, boost confidence and self-esteem. You know, this, this is really a productive way of of just generally showing that we you know that we care in a learning environment you know of course there's there's lots of sides to the coin but there are definite ways that we can kind of embrace that vulnerability and and build on those positive aspects of being being an online community being an organism that will evolve over time we will learn from the stuff that doesn't work and that's fine yeah yeah and i think just when you say there christina that we learn from the stuff that doesn't work and being open and sharing that yes and putting your hand up and saying that didn't work so let's find a way 
you know, to, to make it work. We were wrong, you know, and admitting that and moving forward, like getting that constructive feedback and, um, and taking it on board and knowing that it's coming from a kind place as well, you know, and being able to take it on board and, and move forward and make, and make things, um, make things much better. Yeah. I think these online spaces, and we're, we're talking here about the extension of what is a traditional workplace, even as entrepreneurs or individual business owners, these spaces create a team and that team needs to be working within the same cultural uh, boundaries that we know work well in our traditional workspaces. So we need some structure, we need boundaries, we need policy, and we need to be able to say what's on our mind and without that, that fear of saying the wrong thing. And that fear of failure, you know, that is typical imposter phenomenon. So if that psychological safety is missing, people are going to miss out on being able to say, oh, hi, um, this isn't working for me and I need this or I need that. And, and really, it's a bad business model to go down that route because, you'd, like you say, you're going to lose members. We're going to not have really rich environments either because we won't attract the right people into the spaces that we want. There's something here as well about, you know, the art of being able to be curious, you know, how can we ask questions? You know, if we're feeling uneasy, there's data in that and how can we that unease into something that makes somebody else in the community reflect and actually maybe you know they realize that their behavior or you know their their message or whatever has been you know misconstrued so you're kind of giving also an opportunity for that person to kind of reflect on what you know what's place so I think there's really so much we can learn about how to be curious um we often uh, rush to to react uh, and don't give that kind of pause to sort of think about what, you know, what information we're seeing and why why that matters. How do we deconstruct it? Yeah, and and I think the pause is is really important, Christina. You know, because as humans, we can't see you how know, we can't be expected to straight away change our way of thinking that has been embedded for years and years and years. So maybe having online communities where you can kind of step away as well and think about things you know rather than being in that work environment where you feel the, the pressure of people around you have that space to move away pause think reflect and then step back in and go okay yeah I'm, I'm that was actually really valuable and I've learned a lot from that <laughs> I think one of the things that I was quite interested in was um doing some follow-up research because there was a little bit of data in my research around people who'd experienced entering spaces and exiting them and women move around these spaces a lot. You know, the, we're not talking about women who go and sit in one space and stay there. Women are usually um, in maybe three, four or five different workspaces or online spaces. Some of these can be very specific around marketing or, you know, it might be helping them launch a, a fundraiser or or crowdsourcing and then others will be more general or maybe themed you know around the fact that maybe you're a parent or you're a freelancer and so it was really interesting to me that people weave in and out of these communities and use them for different periods in their career and it made me kind of wonder how well set up are our groups for those ebbs and flows and I think I've certainly experienced being a member of some groups where I definitely sit on the periphery because I don't have the time to be in there every single day. 
And some groups are really good at making me feel like I am still a very valuable member when that happens. And other groups, I feel like I've just lost the plot after a month. And, and I think, oh, maybe I'm just not, that's not the right space for me. So there's something in that as well, isn't there, about when we're in spaces, is this going to be a short period of time we're going to be in there? Do we give it our all? Is it something we want to be in there part-time or temporarily? And again, with the entrepreneurial community, there was this recognition that we're all in competition, actually. Um, at a very basic level, we're all competing for business with different types of customers. But some of us are doing this part-time, some of us are doing it full-time. And that doesn't really matter, but we've got different needs that come along with that as well. So I, I was kind of interested in doing a bit of an extension on that. But so it would be interesting to see how our spaces evolve over the next couple of years, really. That's true. And just to come in there, I think it was interesting what you were talking about. You know, we spend a lot of time, perhaps, you know, community um, leaders, you know, spend time onboarding uh, people. But um, just as in the workplace, and I know you talked about this too, Leela, you know, offboarding is just, <laughs> of course. And, you know, and offboarding could be for, you know, very good reasons. You want to leave, yep. maybe getting enough out of the community. You know, you've got some feedback, you know, make sure that people take that on board. You know, maybe as in the workplace, people don't really fully say what they feel about their community experience. And, you know, that's a shame because that data goes with them and that could be a real opportunity to to improve the space. Uh, but also, you know, what happens when it all goes wrong? You know, a situation where uh, some a member of the community is making others feel unsafe. You know, it's the duty of the community uh, leader or the you know moderators, community manager to um, really uh, make sure that that person is respected respectfully of ordered you know and there's a kind of obviously a procedure in between you know about how you do that but i think those types of behaviors are the ones that signal you know what psychological safety is going to look like in your community because you can't perpetuate you know behaviors that make people feel unsafe so i think that's a really good point and one of the interesting things that happened in one of the interviews that i did was an individual who actually off-boarded from um, a workspace and they said that it felt more like a sales pitch to keep them in. And I said, well, what would have made that better? And they said, actually, I'd have felt a lot more comfortable just telling somebody else in the group why I was going. And I said, well, that seems really simple. That's something so easy. Actually, you just leave some feedback with a friend and that friend can give it to the person who hosts or leads the community. And it doesn't have to be a big sales um, kind of process to try and keep you in and I think there are loads of little things like that that we can do I mean clearly when you leave an organization you don't always give your feedback directly to your line manager or um, the department you're working to sometimes that feedback's given to an intermediary or a, a human resources department so even for spaces where it's a one person you know leading out it's a low-cost platform I think these things are still really important they can be done creatively um, and that community, you know, it gives people roles within a community, which we know is really good. It helps people take responsibility. And what we were saying there around culture is that we have to all be ambassadors. So if we say to people, you know, if you ever want to leave, that's fine. And if you want to chat to somebody else in the group, we've got a way for you to do that so that you don't have to have those awkward conversations. And I think that's really helpful. I think the workplace should do that for sure, definitively. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and also, you know, there's that research that says that when people hand in their notices and they've said what they want to say, you know, their performance uh, improves dramatically. Mm. So I'm sure that the same could be said of uh, online communities. Perhaps, you know, the barriers to participation feel yeah. quite low because, you know, you're off, so it doesn't really matter. You can just sort of be you, you know, you show up and uh, the pressure's off. <laughs> well, I'm curious about that too. This conversation has been fascinating. And for me, it really underlines where my research was going, which was to say, you know, let's stop thinking about imposter phenomenon as a syndrome that impacts the individual. Because when we start to take that deeper look into the context and the environment in which imposter feelings exist, there's so much we can do. Some of it is small stuff and baby steps, and some of it's free and, you know, feedback is free. Um, other bits, you know, they're going to take a little bit more strategic work and teasing out. And there's so much that we can learn from our traditional workspaces around culture and that psychological safety. So the conversation's really kind of brought that to life today. And I hope that if people are listening and they're in a community, they've taken away that you can make this change yourself. You can be that kind of ambassador. If you're hosting workspaces or communities, then there's loads in here for you to think about. But also, if you're in traditional workspaces, these things still apply. People want different ways to participate, lurking and being silent. Yes, it's an indicator that maybe psychological safety isn't in place, but it's also something that we need to nurture as well because it, it has a valuable, you know, that silence can be really golden if we tap into it in the right ways. Christina and Laura, I just want to say thank you so much for such a really interesting conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leela. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. The show notes are going to have details about work culturality and how people can work with you and us around imposter phenomenon and setting up um, spaces for success. And I think we're also preparing a white paper on this, aren't we? We've got really deep into it. So there will be details on how people can access that white paper from work culturality. Fantastic. Thank you so much, both. Thank you. Thank you. What a great conversation that was. Creating psychological safe spaces is a practical way for us to reduce imposter experiences instead of fixing the individual. We're shifting from workspaces to wardrobes next week as I welcome Samantha, the style editor, to Psychologically Speaking. You are going to love what she's got to say about societal expectations when it comes to what we wear. And of course, we're thinking about the relationship between clothes and the imposter experience. That's it for today. I hope you learned something new, or perhaps I've given you a new way to think about what you experience. A quick reminder that rating and reviewing all the podcasts you love really does help other people find them, which is especially appreciated by independent podcasters. For more psychological insights, you'll find all the ways you can connect with me in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Psychologically Speaking with me, Leela Ainge. Bye for now.